The scripture verse today is from Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then... Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. If you asked my two-year-old daughter who her best friend was, she would say, Elias. Elias is uh, this kid who lives next door, and, and he's only days apart in age to my daughter, Nicola. And every day, Elias walks down his driveway, across the sidewalk, up our driveway, onto our porch, and begins knocking on our door. He begins knocking on our door, and he doesn't knock two or three times like you or, you or I would when we knock on a door. He doesn't stop knocking. And sometimes I wonder, if we're not home, how long does this two-year-old stand at our door knocking? The, the point is that he is persistent. He's not going to stop knocking until he gets what he wants. And what he wants is to play outside with my daughter, Nicola. And Jesus is calling us in this passage to be persistent like this. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And what we see in this passage is Jesus giving us a picture of what God the Father is like. And the direction, the teaching that Jesus gives us is to persist in pursuing this Father because He will give good gifts to those who ask. Persist in pursuing this Father because He will give good gifts to those who ask. And we're going to look at this passage under four headings. We're going to see the problem that we have, the persistence that we need, the picture we're given, and then the missing piece. The problem we have, the persistence we need, the picture we're given, and the missing piece. So the problem we have. We're nearing, um, we're in the final chapter of three chapters of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, this whole time, has been giving us all of these teachings that are um, the teachings of the kingdom of God. He's giving us these, these virtues of the kingdom of God. When you become a Christian, you submit yourself to Jesus' teachings. And in the Sermon on the Mount, we've been diving into those teachings and we've been applying themselves, them to ourselves in our situation and in our context. And what we've been seeing, though, is 
that Jesus has some really hard truths for us. He has some really hard truths. He says things like, hating a brother is equal to murder. He says that looking at a woman lustfully is adultery. He says, don't worry about anything. Turn the, turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Last week, we were in the beginning of Matthew 7 where Jesus says, tells us to take the plank out of our own eye before we help others with the speck in theirs. What he's saying is that we are more often concerned with the sins of others than we are with ourselves. And so these teachings of Jesus, they present us a problem. They present us with a problem. If hating someone in my heart is murder, then I'm a murderer. If looking at someone lustfully is adultery, then we are adulterers. He says, don't worry about anything, but all I do is worry. As it turns out, I'm a really bad judge of things. Thinking that I can point out someone else's sin while my sin is so glaringly, obviously in front of me, making a mess of the whole situation. Our problem is that we can't live up to the standards of the kingdom. These virtues that he's teaching, we don't have. And he, in our passage, he, he says this. He says in Matthew 7, verse 11, he says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. Jesus has been preaching this sermon. Maybe he's been preaching for half an hour, an hour already at these people. And I think it would have been clear to them... He, he kind of glosses over the fact that they're evil here in this passage. But I think he does that because it would have been clear to them standing, sitting in front of his teaching that they don't measure up. That it's true. They are evil. Um, it's one of the lesser known quotes from Jesus. Uh, I, can't, I can't really, never seen it on a list of 21 Bible spiritual quotes you know, or on the, on the sign in front of a church, you are evil, Jesus. Jesus doesn't leave us there, though. In this passage, he's calling us evil. Though he's calling us evil, Jesus is offering a solution. He's pointing the finger away from us saying that you might be evil, but you have a Father in heaven who loves you, and he loves to lavish good gifts on you. This Father, Jesus is saying, he will give you what you need for life in the kingdom. He is the solution to the problem you have, your problem with sin. And he is willing to help. All you have to do is ask. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Jesus is calling us to ask, to seek, and to knock. 
And we can look at these verses and we can spend all our time on what does it mean to ask versus what does it mean to seek or what does it mean to knock? What's the difference between those three? And that might be profitable, um, but I think in this context it might be a bit of a, a waste of time. What Jesus is calling us to do is to persist in our pursuit of God. To persist in our pursuit of God. All these these words, ask, seek, and knock, they're actually in the present tense. And so what he's saying is, continue in asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. They're present tense. There's a persistence implied. Keep doing these things. Don Carson calls this a burning pursuit of God. He's calling us to have a burning pursuit of God. And so, What is it that Jesus is calling us to pursue? Well, from the context of the sermon that Jesus is preaching, we are evil. And so he's calling us to pursue help. You need help, is what Jesus is saying. We need help because we have a problem. He's laid out these virtues of the kingdom and we don't measure up. Jesus is saying, pray. And keep on praying. Keep on praying and pursue him because you need righteousness. You need righteousness. And if we open up the rest of Scripture, we can see that Jesus is calling us also to ask for the Holy Spirit, for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He says this in Luke. In Luke chapter 11, it's a very similar teaching. It must have been a common teaching of Jesus. He says, if then, though you are evil, there it is again, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? The Holy Spirit. Here Jesus is is being even more clear. He's saying that ask for the Holy Spirit. Ask for God himself to dwell in you. You need righteousness. You need God in you. Because you don't measure up. What we need to fully live into the virtues of the kingdom of God is God in us. So keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, Jesus says. And, and look at the promise that's, in, that's embedded in this passage. I'm, I'm going to pick verse 8, but verse 7 is very similar. Verse 8 says, For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. This is a a beautiful picture of the assurance that we have, that as you ask, you will receive. You seek, you'll find. You knock, and the door will be open. Our persistent pursuit of God will be met with a prize. Jesus is calling us to pursue righteousness and the Holy Spirit. And as we look deeper into this passage, we're going to see that those two things are essential. They're they're the basic things that we need for life in the kingdom. Verses 9 to 11 say, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He's using this argument from lesser to greater, saying, though you are evil fathers, you're still going to give your children bread and fish. And we have to know that um, 
He's speaking on, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee to these, these people that their basic food for life. In order to live, they need bread and fish. That's what they eat. My mom always had this rule for me that if, even if I didn't eat anything she cooked for me, I was a very picky eater uh, when I was a kid, even if I didn't eat anything she cooked for me, I could always have a peanut butter sandwich. Even she recognized that I needed food to live, and so she would give that to me. Righteousness and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit are essential, the essential things that we need for life in the kingdom. And I think we also need to talk about what Jesus is not saying in this passage. If we took this passage completely out of context, the, you know, and you heard Jesus say, ask and you will receive, we might just assume that God is some sort of genie in a bottle granting us every wish we desire. And this is, this is not what Jesus is saying. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus teaches us how to pray, he says, pray, your will be done. Pray, your will be done. We're asking for God to do his will. In 1 John 5, the Apostle John says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Jesus is not saying, ask for anything and it will be yours. No, he's calling us to ask for the essentials, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and righteousness. This is what we need. And this is what is in accordance with God's will. And so we're given a clear command to, to be persistent in our pursuit of God to keep on asking him for righteousness, to keep on seeking the Holy Spirit, to continue in our desire for the Spirit to dwell in us. We're called to persist in pursuing God, but that's often not what we do. We persist elsewhere. We don't pursue God. We aren't persistent. We persist in sin. This passage hit me this week when I, when I was asking myself, why wasn't I asking God for help? Why wasn't I asking God for help the way that Jesus is calling me to here? And I realized that I actually, there's something inside of me that believes that I'm doing pretty good keeping these commands. That I'm doing pretty good keeping these commands. And some of you are like me. It makes me think of the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus tells this story of a father and two sons. And the, and the younger son goes to the father one day and says, give me my inheritance, I'm out of here. Basically saying, hey, I wish you were dead and I'm going to leave. And so he, the father gives him his inheritance and he takes it away. He lives a lavish life and he ends up with nothing. He ends up feeding pigs, and he realizes that these pigs are being treated better than I am. And so he goes back to his father because he wants to be his father's servant. His father's servants are treated better than pigs. And so he goes back, and his father embraces him, welcomes him in like he was his son again. His status didn't change, and he throws, his father throws this huge party. And here we have this older brother 
He gets angry with his father. He doesn't want to go to the party. Because his father welcomed his kid brother back, no questions asked. He basically said, I wish you were dead. And he took half the money. And he came back and now he gets it all back. And a party. He never ran away. He never squandered his father's money. He never even thought of disowning his family. And his brother gets a party. He believed that what he was doing earned him a higher standing with his father. Some of you, like the older brother, you're blind to your sin. You're blind to the fact that you need God. You need his help. You have a problem and you're not asking. And some of you are asking in the wrong places. You might recognize that you're not flourishing, that something is not going well in your life, but you're looking for solutions in the wrong places. You're trying to stop doing something. You're trying to change bad habits. You're, you're, you're noticing that some people in your life are causing you to go wayward and so you plan to cut them out. What you're really doing is persisting in the wrong places. Cutting out bad habits is not wrong. It's actually good. But without a persistent pursuit of God, cutting a habit out of your life will leave a hole. And unless you're filling that hole with a desire for God and for righteousness, that hole, like a vacuum, will be filled up again with something that is life-sucking. Maybe you did ask for God for something. You tried that for a while. But he didn't give you. You didn't get what you wanted, so you stopped. You were seeking God and his help for a bit, but nothing seemed to be happen, happening. You know, I tried that for a while, but it didn't work. Jesus is calling us here to persist in our pursuit of God. To be persistent. Some of you are asking for the wrong things. You think that the thing that you're asking for is bread, but it's actually a stone. It's fish, but it's actually a snake. Maybe if God just gave me that boyfriend or that girlfriend or that spouse, then it would be better. Surely if our kids didn't have had different friends, then things would be different. We have a persisting problem. Jesus is calling us to persist in pursuing God, but we are persisting in sin. And we need to look ourselves in the mirror and ask, do you really believe that you need God's help? Do you really believe that you need God's help? One of the reasons that we persist in our pursuit of God is because in our minds, we have the wrong picture of the character of God. We have the wrong picture of the father. The older brother in the parable of the prodigal son doesn't understand his father. He actually doesn't know the depths of the love that his father has for his brother and for him. 
He believes that he is more deserving of his father's love because he didn't do anything crazy. His picture of the father is of a father who kind of sets you down, leaves you alone to kind of figure it out on your own. As long as you don't mess up too bad, then you win the prize in the end. You gain the inheritance. You think that God is the type of father that is, going, is not going to let you forget about your sin. Your picture is wrong. Or maybe if you, if you persisted for a while in asking God for things, but you stopped because you didn't see God answering your prayers, you have a picture of a father who doesn't actually care. Or you're asking for the wrong things, thinking that if only God gave me this or stopped this from happening to me, then, then I could flourish. This is a, oddly, a picture of a father who looks a lot like you. Made in your image. You're saying that you know better Jesus, in this passage, gives us the, a glimpse into the right picture of God the Father. The right picture of God the Father. He says, even an evil father gives their children what they need. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? We have a picture of a Father who gives us what we need. The bread and the fish, but he gives us more. Jesus is giving us a picture of the Father who, who is always at the ready for those who ask. To be there for those who are looking for him. To be, he's attentive to the knock on the door and, and ready to open the door. He is a welcoming Father. He's giving good gifts. He's never absent. He's never not there. He's always there to be found. He's never too busy. He's always attentive. John Smed, who's a, a pastor in uh, BC, a retired pastor. He's written a few books on prayer, and um, in one of his books, kind of talking about this fatherly relationship to, uh, that God has with his children in prayer, he says something like this. He says, prayer is like having a direct phone line to God. He tells each of us to call him day or night for any reason whatsoever. And you know what? He always answers. You never get voicemail or call forwarding. And when we do call, he never seems in a rush. And he never ends the conversation. John says, after a while, you just have to say goodbye. And he says, okay, but call back soon. God the Father is ever attentive, never bothered, and never in a hurry. He's caring and trustworthy. Psalm 145 says, The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. We have this incredible picture 
of a heavenly Father who cares deeply about you and I. And in this picture that Jesus gives us, we see this Father's posture towards us. He's not tight. He's not turned. He's not closed towards us. His arms are open. It's almost like he's on one knee saying, come, seek me. We have this beautiful picture of a father who loves his children and cares for them. But there is still a missing piece. How do we attain this relationship with a father like this? Jesus' listeners at this time, they would have been keenly aware of their sin at this point, their sin that is keeping them away from God. And we are called to persist in pursuing God, asking Him for righteousness in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But how, if I am evil, can I possibly call God Father? My daughter Nicola is adopted. And there's this beautiful thing that happens in adoption, at least in Canada, is when we took her home, we sent some paperwork to the government to change her last name on her birth certificate. I always thought it was crazy that they changed the birth certificate. She wasn't born into my family. When she was born, she had a name. She had a last name. But on her birth certificate, there's no distinction. It's as if she was, and she is, born into our family. She is mine. We need a change in our birth certificate. And that change is only possible through Jesus. Jesus Christ is the way to this Father. In John 14, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Michelle and I needed to submit an application to the government to get her name changed for Nicola to become ours. Jesus, the true Son of God, had to enter this earth as a human. He had to endure every form of humiliation and die on the cross so that those who believe in him could become his sisters and brothers and share his Father with them, with him. The only way to this Father is through his true Son, Jesus Christ. He is calling you to become his sisters and brothers so that you can enjoy what he has in the Father. He's not holding the Father to himself. His posture is emulating his Father's, open to you, ready to embrace you into the family. Jesus says, everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. This is what we're doing by acknowledging our need for salvation and putting our faith in his saving work, his death and resurrection for you.
Nicola is my child. She's my kid. When she asks for things of me, she expects me to listen to her and to give her an answer. Your kid can ask me all they want. But only Nicola can expect me to answer her. I'm her father. You can't ask God for stuff unless you are his kid. You can't have these kingdom virtues given to you. You can't experience having your sins forgiven unless you embrace Jesus as your brother who substituted himself for you on the cross, dying the death that your sin deserved. Jesus is the only human who has ever fully persisted in his pursuit of the Father. He's the only human who has ever persisted the way that he is calling us to persist. And by dying on the cross, he hands over the prize of that persistence to those who put their faith in him. And so believe in Jesus. Keep believing in Jesus and experience freedom from your sin and shame. By faith, receive the prize of Jesus' persistence and run into the arms of your Father. He's waiting for you. He's ready to receive you over and over again and eager to answer your requests. Let me end with a, another story from John Smed. He tells, he tells this story about his friends, Stan and Lori, who adopted uh, their child, Nicholas, from Russia. He says, Stan and Lori went to Russia one last time to finish the adoption procedure. They had to sign the papers, pay all the fees, and then they could finally take Nicholas home. At this point, Stan steps into the room and he sees Nicholas in his orphan environment. He's covered in scabies, a bright red rash caused by small parasites. He has blisters on the bottom of his feet, the palms of his hands, and all over the inside of his mouth. This hand, foot, and mouth disease is, is common in unsanitary conditions like the orphanage. He reeks. The orphanage doesn't have money for diapers, and so he's often left in his own excrement. With his voice breaking, Stan tells John, I could see him. I looked at him in his distress. I wanted to hold him. I wanted to comfort him, to heal him. But more than anything else, I wanted Nicholas to know just how much Lori and I love him. This is a picture of the Father that we are called to pursue. Pursue him. And what you'll find that all along, he was pursuing you. Let's pray. Lord, it doesn't make sense that you love us. 
We don't have a category of a father like you. So it's only a privilege. Lord, it's our privilege to call you father. That the the God of the universe would call us child. And to be ready and attentive to our every need. So father, we need you. We need the righteousness that can only come from Jesus Christ. And we need the faith from you so that we can acquire the righteousness from Jesus Christ. Lord, and we need your spirit to continue living into the virtues of the kingdom. And Lord, we need your fatherly care because life hurts. Lord, we need you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we have some time for a few questions. My phone number is up there. I'm assuming my mic, my neighbor, is not here, so that's not a question. Um, Any questions from, I have one here, any old school questions, hand-raising ones? All right, I can, uh, let's take a look at this one. I think we have a tendency to limit our pursuit of God to an individualistic endeavor. What role does community play in this? How do we encourage this persistent pursuit in one another? That's a, that's a very good question. How do we encourage a persistent pursuit as a church in one another? Well, I think that um, that's a really good question because In, if God's our father and Jesus is our brother, if he's my brother and he's your brother, then we're family. And our family ties are better than blood. Better than blood. We're adopted into the family of God. And so what that means, how that, I mean, I think we can think of a million applications there for what that means. That means we get to hold each other accountable. We get, to, we get to show the love of the Father to each other. We get to point each other back to Jesus, right? The, the call in this passage is to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And so um, I hope that answers the question kind of in a, in a broad sense.